There is no greater characteristic that demonstrates that one has a relationship with God and that one is in ongoing fellowship with God more than love. In fact, even Jesus said that love for other people would be, from his perspective, the distinctive characteristic of his disciples. Remember what he said in John 13, 35. By this kind of love, all men, not just other Christians, all men will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. So we cannot overstate the importance of love. And that's what John comes back to. And the reason is because, remember, he's combating false teaching in this church. And part of the false teaching was that one can believe in God, but it not affect their behavior, not affect their lifestyle. And John's going, whoa, 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 whoa. No. Christianity is all about behavior and lifestyle. It's, it can't be just, this is what I believe and it doesn't affect the way I live. And then the other thing that he's combating is the fact that these false teachers and the people that were following them were so unloving. And John is going, if, if you were born from God and if you had fellowship with God, you would be a more loving person. And so that's what he wants to, again, talk to us about tonight and reinforce. Because all of us need to be reminded of God's love. And, and what John's going to do in the passage before us tonight is help us to learn about God's love. Because even in our society today, even amongst Christians, many people say, I, I know what love is. I know all about love. But I don't really think that we take the time to study the Word of God and find out how God defines love. Because really, as we're going to see tonight, that's who defines what love is. We, we as human beings don't define what love looks like or what love is. God does, you see. And so John wants to bring us back and begin to teach us about love. So in verse 7, he starts out by saying, Dear friends, again, a term that speaks about us being loved. Literally, you could also translate this beloved. He says, let us love. In the original language, it's literally, those who are loved, let us love. In other words, because we are so loved, let's love others. That, that should be a, a motivation, an inspiration. But again, that comes from us being willing, if you will, to receive the love that God has for us. Before we can really love others, we've got to accept and receive the love that God has for us. And again, it's got to be more than just an intellectual assent to the fact that God loves me. It's got to be more than me sitting down and singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's got to be a life-transforming, changing love that grips me and grips my heart and changes me and transforms me into a new person. If anyone is in Christ, we are a new creation. And therefore, by receiving God's love for us, by knowing how much God loves us, we then are sort of released and free to love 
others. And again, as I shared last week when I ended, when John says, let us love, he's reminding that all of us are personally responsible to love others. That, that this loving of others isn't just relegated to, to the spiritual leaders of the church or to a certain group within the church. Everyone who knows Christ, everyone who is a follower of Christ is personally responsible to love others. And as I shared last week, we're not to love all of the people some of the time or some of the people all of the time. We, according to the Bible, are to love all of the people all of the time. And let's remember again that this word for love, agape, speaks about a supernatural, selfless, sacrificial love. It is a love, again, that comes from God. Human beings can love, even if they don't know God, even if they don't have a relationship with us. They can love, but not to this degree. This kind of love is supernatural. This kind of love, agape love, can only be birthed in us as a human being through a relationship with God and through ongoing fellowship with God. This kind of love is a self-giving love that gives and gives and gives without demanding and expecting repayment of any kind. That's agape love. That's agape love. It's supernatural. You and I can't love agape without God's enablement. It is sacrificial. It is selfless. And that's so important, again, in the world in which we live. And again, it's going to be one of the ways that we as Christ followers really do stick out. Because we do live in a very self-centered, self-absorbed world. And yet God calls us to lay down our lives for one another. So John says, dear friends, let us love one another. And there again, he's reminding us that this supernatural, selfless, sacrificial love has to be reciprocal. It has to be mutual. It cannot be one-sided. We have to love one another. A good, healthy relationship is where love, this kind of love, is flowing back and forth between individuals. You see. So we're all responsible to love one another. Why? Notice what John goes on to say. Because this quality of love, this kind of love, agape love, is from God. God is the source and the only source. He alone is the only source of this quality of love. It comes from Him. And that's why it's only those of us who know Him and are in fellowship with Him Can we love at that level? Which is what he goes on to say. Notice. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves others in this way 
has been fathered by God. In other words, by being able to love at that level, the agape level, it proves, it shows, it manifests that we have been birthed by God, that we have been born again. Because apart from being a born-again Christian who now has the Holy Spirit living within us to enable us to live that way, no human being can love like this. Again, an unbeliever can love to a certain degree. But there will be a limit, there will be a ceiling to their quality of love. Where for the Christian, there is no ceiling. There is no limit because we literally can love others as or like God loves us and how He loves. Because He's the source of it. And He fathers us. And then notice He goes on to say, and knows God. Now remember something. This word know is an important word in the letter of 1 John. It's a word that speaks about fellowship, something beyond relationship, because it speaks about a knowledge that is only gained through first-hand experience. In other words, this kind of knowledge cannot be gained second-hand. And that's why Christians need to buy into the importance, the, the necessity of having a personal relationship and fellowship with God every day. That they go into God's presence. That God and them spend time together. That they are growing in their fellowship with God themselves. That what they are learning about God isn't always coming secondhand from others, but they personally are experiencing God in their own way. And through that personal experience with them and God, they are growing in a knowledge of God that, again, is only able to be gained through that first-hand acquaintance. Again, let me remind you that this word is also used, in, and so you'll get the depth of it, that's why this word is also used in the New Testament to describe the sexual intimacy between a man and a woman. When the Bible says, say, for instance, he knew his wife, it's a very close, personal, first-hand, acquaintance type of knowledge that is gained through that kind of a connection, if you will. And that's where many Christians, I think, you know, well, I have a relationship with God. Yeah. But, but that's just the start. That's why I tell people, salvation is just the start. That's not the end. So many Christians are like, well, I got saved, that's it. Now I can just go live my life however I want to and the rest of my life's mine. I'm on my way to heaven. Sins are forgiven. Like, no. The message of the Bible is that's just the beginning. Now we're responsible to get to know this God firsthand by our own experience and to enter into fellowship with God, getting to know Him. And what John is saying here is that when we love like God loves, when we love one another this way, it not only proves that we have a personal relationship with God, that we have been born again. Because the only way we can love this way is through the indwelling Holy Spirit who 
empowers us. But it also proves that we have an ongoing experience with God. That we are experiencing God every day and therefore we are growing in our understanding and knowledge of this God who is love and who is the source of all love. So again, this word know is really important and goes back to the importance of fellowship that John has been hammering throughout this letter. It's got to go beyond relationship. It's got to go to the depth of fellowship with God because that's the only way we begin to capture this God who is love and who is the source of all love. And then it enables us to really be able to love others the way God loves. Notice he goes on then in verse 8 to say, the person who does not love in this way, with this quality of love in the context, does not know God. It doesn't mean that they don't have a relationship with God. It means, but they don't have an ongoing first-hand experience with God. Because if they did, God and their time with God and their fellowship with God would transform them. It would change them. This is what John's going to continue to talk about here. God's love is a transforming love. It changes us. If it does not transform and change us, then we're really not experiencing God. We're not in touch with God. This is what, when we come together as God's people, this is what our worship time and our time in the Word should be all about. It shouldn't be just about going through religious exercises or duties. When, when we worship together and when we're in the Word together, we should leave transformed. We should leave changed. Nobody comes into the presence of God and spends time with God and leaves the same. It just, it doesn't work. <laughs> And so that's what John's getting at here. Again, to drive home the importance of knowing God in that personal, first-hand, experiential way. Because he goes on to say, in verse 8, because God is love. Literally, in the original, God exists as love. You could use the words to be. God in his being, is love. In fact, you could even say it this way, I am love, God says. Now, what this phrase doesn't mean is that love is God. Any more than when we could say, grass is green, therefore green equals grass. No. What this is saying is that love is an essential characteristic of God's nature. And what John is saying here by saying God is love, he literally exists as love, is that God is the one who defines what love is. You and I don't define love, God defines love. And one of the best places to go, not the only place, because in a sense John is defining love for us here in this passage, 
But one of the other best places to go in the Word of God to see where God defines love is 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, especially verses 4 through 7, where Paul speaks about the characteristics of love. Love is kind. Love is patient. Love isn't envious. Love is not easily angered. All of those characteristics, that's how God defines love. And so God is calling upon his people to say, if you know me, and if you have been born again by me, if you are experiencing me, then love as I love you. Let my love transform and change your life to be a loving person that supernaturally, sacrificially, selflessly lays down your life continuously for others. Where you're not living, looking out for yourself primarily, but for others. Where you are willing to continue to give and give and give without expectation of repayment in return. So then, look at verse 9. By this, <coughs> the love of God is revealed in us, or literally to us, or toward us. So now John is saying, listen, for anyone that says, well, I just don't know whether I've ever really seen God's love. Has God really ever actively demonstrated his love? John would say, oh my goodness. God is an active, living, personal being. And He has clearly, visibly made His love known to us. In fact, I couldn't help but think when Nicole was praying tonight about that time where Jesus is... He purposely delayed going to visit Mary and Martha after their brother Lazarus had died. And he's interacting with Martha, and then he comes to Mary, and he sees her just weeping. And the Bible says he just begins to weep, not because he doesn't know what he's going to do. He knows what he's going to do. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead in just a few minutes. But he's weeping because he sees the pain and the devastating effects that sin has had on those that he loves so much. And he is overcome with emotion. And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews says. We have a high priest who is not incapable of sympathizing and empathizing with our weaknesses and all of that. But in all points, he was tempted like we are, yet without sin. He's a sympathetic an empathetic high priest. He is touched by what we go through and what touches us. And so John wants to make this clear. This is how God's love is revealed. God, the Father, has sent His one and only Son into the world. I'm going to stop there. Notice that, first of all, John wants to focus on, before he talks about the sacrifice of the Son, he wants to talk about the giving of the Father. 
something that maybe we don't think enough about when we think about the gift of our salvation. That yes, the Son came, Jesus came, and willingly laid down His life as the Lamb of God. But let's not forget that the Father gave His one and only unique Son as well. In a sense, He left Him go. He gave Him up. And so, what we learn about love here is that love always gives its best. Because when God gave, He gave His very best. He gave His one and only unique Son. He didn't send an angel, which an angel would have been incapable of providing our salvation anyway. He sent His Son to be our Savior. If you and I love, we won't just give a half effort. If we love, we will give everything we've got. We'll give our best effort. Which is why God calls His people, even from the Old Testament through the New Testament, to love Him. The great commandment to the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 6 was, Listen! O Israel, Shema, pay close and careful attention. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Love God with everything you've got. Because if we truly love God, then we will never give Him less than our very best. Because that's what love does. That's this kind of love. That's where you and I know that we're loving others the way God loves us. When we give others our best, not just our leftovers. And so often in our lives and in churches today, Christians are giving God in their service of Him and in their service to their brothers and sisters in Christ the leftovers rather than the first fruits, their very best. But love gives its best. And then he goes on to say, not only has God sent His one and only Son into the world, but He sent Him so that we may live through Him. So that you and I may experience the highest quality of life through Him. Abundant life. Again, that's what this word live means. It's the Greek word zoe. It's not the Greek word bios, which just speaks about physical existence. It's talking about real living. Highest quality of life. In fact, as I was studying this, I saw something that I had never seen before from this perspective. Those three words at the end of verse 9 really could describe the Christian life. What's the Christian life? It is learning to live through Him. That's what the Christian life is. Living through Him. That's a great summary of the Christian life. And living through Him and no other. Because again, there are many people today who think that I can experience life Real life. The highest quality of life apart from Him. And the Bible teaches us no. In fact, Jesus even said, I'm the way, the truth, and the what? 
I'm the life. You can't experience real living and real life apart from Jesus. And yet, how many people today, even many Christians, are running after, chasing after, so many things that the world offers, trying to find that elusive dream. Whether it's through academia, whether it's through materialism, whether it's through success in, in their occupation, somehow the pot of gold is at the end of those rainbows. No. Real life is found only through our relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ. And this is why the writer of Ecclesiastes says, so many people end up in their lives just chasing after the wind. Because what they're chasing after and what they're searching for is so elusive, they can never really grab a hold of it. Because the only one that can give us real, abundant life is the one who's standing right in front of us saying, I love you. Accept me. Live for me. Let's have fellowship together. And we reject life and we pursue other things. And this is what John wants to really nail down for us. So then he goes on in verse 10 to say this. In this is love. This is again another way God's love is shown proven or demonstrated. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. Notice that the initiative was with God, not us. He loved us before we loved Him. In fact, He loved us when we did not love Him. That's another characteristic or how God defines love. Love will take the initiative. Love will not sit back and wait for others to reach out and love us. Love will reach out and love. That's what God did. He did not wait on us to say, okay, God, I'm ready to love you now. And God said, oh, okay, good. Okay, I'm going to love you. No. God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so John is saying, too often, we sit back and wait for others to love us. And John is saying, but that's not how God loves. That's not how he loved us. He took the initiative. He reached out first. And it's hard to reach out. It's hard sometimes to take the initiative. We don't know how we're going to be received. Our love or our gesture or whatever could be rejected. But isn't that, isn't that God? I mean, how often has people said no to His love gift? How often do people say no to His love? Yet He keeps on loving. And God calls us to do the same. God just simply says, let us love one another. He doesn't put any conditions on it. He says, love because we have been loved. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son then to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And this word atoning sacrifice, or in other translations, propitiation, is an important biblical word. Many times it's misunderstood. This word speaks about a sufficient offering that satisfies the wrath of God. And it's something you and I don't hear a lot about because, again, in most churches today, they're not going to talk about wrath of God and they're not going to talk about judgment. But guess what? 
We're going to talk about it on Sunday. Out of 2 Thessalonians. Why? Because the Bible talks about it. But what this reminds us of is that God is a holy God. And because God is a holy God, His holiness needs to be satisfied. He cannot simply just overlook sin. And it shows how serious sin is to God. The fact that His own Son would have to give up His life in order to restore and repair the relationship between men and God because of sin. And that the only satisfactory offering that could be given to bridge this gap between men and God was Jesus. And so you'll also notice in this that love goes to great lengths in order to repair and restore relationship. I mean, think about the length that God goes to here. He doesn't say, well, you know what? I can't give up Jesus. That's too much. I mean, those people down there, they don't even care about me. They don't even love me. Why would I give my very best to them when most of them are going to do what they want to do anyway? And yet, because God is love, everything, everyone that God ever created, He loves like we'll never understand. And because He loves everyone that He ever created, He says, it's worth me giving up all of this to try to reach out, take the initiative, and restore this relationship. It means that much to me. Now think about that in light of how we do relationships today. How again, many relationships are disposable. They hit a hard time and we just sort of move on and walk away from one another. Think of God did that. That when Adam and Eve fell, God just says, "Uh, I'm done. No, God comes down in the Garden of Eden and as we talked about several weeks ago, even though Adam and Eve were hiding, God went looking for them and literally calls out to them and says, Earth man, man made of dust, where are you? That's the length that God goes to. That's what love will do. God sent His only and unique Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God's holiness required satisfaction and John is reminding us God's love provided satisfaction. He gave His only Son. And what John is doing here again by talking about this quality of love of God is to, again, bring us to this point in verse 11. Dear friends, beloved ones, those who are loved, if God so loved us, then we also ought to love one another. If God took the initiative in loving us, we ought to take the initiative in loving others. God's love for us should inspire us to love others. That's what it's been all about. That's why he shared everything he has from verse 7 through verse 10 to get us to a place where he says what he does in verse 11. Because God's love, when we are in touch with God, 
when we are in fellowship with God, it should be a transforming, changing experience that turns you and I in to a more loving person. A person who begins to love others the way God loves us. And then verse 12 will be the last verse we look at tonight. Next week, we're going to talk about the power of love. Tonight, we've been learning a lot about love. So John goes on to say, no one has seen God at any time. The Bible says God is invisible. And this word seen speaks about an up-close observation and examination. In other words, no one's really gotten up close and been able to examine God. Especially in His unveiled glory. Even on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus just gave His disciples that were up there a glimpse, just a flash because they would, in that state, have never been able to survive if He would have displayed His glory. Now, one thing we learned that I'm excited about, and I think you are too, is that when we get to heaven, we will actually then, in our glorified bodies, be able to have a full apprehension of the person of God. We will be able to see Him in His unveiled, uncovered glory. But now, no one has seen God at any time. But notice what John goes on to say. But if we love one another, God resides in us and His love is perfected in us. Even though no one has seen God in His unveiled glory, we can see God, John says. How? Through the lives of those who demonstrate His love to others. That's how God can be seen. This is why God calls us to Himself. That after He saves us, He calls us into fellowship with Himself so that we can be transformed and changed by His love so that we can be sent forth into this world as agents of His love and so that people can see God and His love through us. That's our responsibility as the church, as His disciples. To love in that way. And then again, I love what John says at the end of verse 12. And his love is then perfected in us. This word perfected in the Greek language is an interesting word. It doesn't mean perfection. It's a word that speaks about maturity or bringing something to consummation or completion. And so what John is saying here is simply, as you and I, all the way, rolling it all the way back up, as we are born from above, born again, and enter into a relationship with God, and then begin to fellowship with God and experience God on a first-hand basis, God and His love begins to transform and change us. We then become agents of His love. We then have the capability and capacity through the indwelling Holy Spirit to love others continuously as God loves us. And as we continue to love others as God loves us, this love 
matures us. It grows us. It takes us from this stage of spiritual development to this stage. And it is a life-transforming, life-changing experience. That's what God's love is. I want to close with this tonight. Because we sort of ended on the importance of letting and allowing God's love and God's person and God's presence to transform and change us. I mean, the Bible talks about that. Though the outward man is perishing, the inward man should be renewed day by day. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If anyone is in Christ, he should be a new creation. So the Bible talks all the time about the change and transformation that should be taking place. But I want us to note tonight, and we'll talk more about this next week, and we're going to even be talking about this in the coming weeks in 2 Thessalonians. Let's make sure that we stop and understand that that change, that transformation, has to come at the heart level. It can't come at a superficial surface level. It's got to come at the heart level, at at the deepest part of our inner person. And why I say that we've got to stop and consider this and, and, and note the importance of it is because so often, and you see this even in the Word of God, people just like us, planted themselves in what we would call spiritual or religious environments where they were surrounded by the blessing of God, but their heart remained unchanged. In fact, this is the majority of the people that Jesus dealt with while he was here on earth. You think about all the Jews and especially all the religious leaders that knew more about the Old Testament and the Word of God and was saturated in this spiritual, religious environment. And yet, all of that never changed their heart. And this is the sort of the cautionary tale or warning from the Bible. That you and I, just like many other people, can be in a spiritual environment. We can experience God to some degree and and we can be in a religious environment and yet remain unchanged, untransformed. Because the change and transformation has to go down to the heart. And there really is, throughout the Bible, this statement that God wants us to remember that there is a battle always for our heart. And if our heart is not open and vulnerable to God and to God's Spirit and to God's Word to truly change us, then we can sort of hover around that spiritual environment and that religious environment, but never really experience life transformation. And so that's why John says, this kind of love then perfects us.
because it truly brings about through that continuous loving of others as God loves us, a maturing, a growth, a transformation, and a change in who we are. We truly become more like Jesus Christ. May all of us desire to have that kind of change and transformation in our lives. And may we not be satisfied just to be a part of a religious, spiritual environment that might make us feel good every once in a while. But may we truly open up our heart to God. Father, we thank you that you want to so love us. You want us to understand the depth, the breadth, the height, the length of your love for us. Personally. So that God will never be the same. So that every day we wake up, we are just overwhelmed. And as Nicole even mentioned, undone by your love. God, may that be truly true in our lives. May we not just go through the motions of spiritual activity and being a part of a spiritual environment. May what we do with you and what happens between us and our God be at the deepest level of our being. Be at that heart level where true change and true life transformation really takes place. May we allow your love to flood into our heart like never before. And change us, God. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, we got a couple good weeks left. Thanks for hanging in there with me. We'll see you next week.